Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Mana Podcast, Daily Bread for the Daily Christian. My name is Sam Jeske. I serve as the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Crown Point, Indiana, and thank you for making this podcast part of your Friday morning. I don't have to tell you what's going on in your news feed right now, and I probably don't have to tell you what's being shown in the news as you turn on your TV this morning. Our nation and the world are still in a deep civil unrest following the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officers. And thankfully, one one thing that has really come out of this is there are some really healthy discussions that are going on within congregations on the matter of um, race relations and engaging people outside um, of your ethnic circle and how you go about interacting with people who are different than you how congregations may be, uh, there may be some cultural blind spots when it comes to how they conduct their ministry because they have not seriously thought um, beyond um, certain ethnic groups or there are certain ethnic groups they really need to consider because they make up a significant demographic that they've been called to serve. So in this episode, which is again part of a three-part dialogue between myself and Pastor Mark Jeske, um, the senior pastor of a very multicultural uh, urban Milwaukee congregation, St. Marcus. We get into talking a little bit about uh, loving the diversity of where you serve, um, as the gospel is, in fact, for all people of all nations. Um, but also the importance of reflecting that diversity in your worship space, um, in your worship ministry facilities, but then also in your ethnomusicology. So that's the kind of music that you use, the, the language that you use. This is, these are all major considerations. But again, um, Pastor Mark Jeske is continuing his 10 mission ministry insights uh, for any congregation serving anywhere. Um, he is specifically speaking to urban congregations, but the principles apply to congregations all over who, who might need might need some help. They might be stuck or um, they're looking for new ways to to perceive the ministry that's around them and see the opportunities that are around them too. So if you haven't listened to those first two episodes, I highly encourage that you do so. Um, uh, So uh, listen to those two first. You can can listen to those uh, um, wherever you get your podcasts and then circle back and listen to this final installment. 10 ministry insights that any congregation should be taking into consideration. styles of, say, music, service, uh, organization against each other, do multiple things. Uh, You don't have to, it's like a buffet, just keep adding things to your buffet. So your denomination may have traditional hymnody. If you're trying to connect with a people group, not like your original founding tribe, you don't have to throw out everything of your past, you can just add. So in our in our situation, um, the traditional Lutheran hymnody uh, tends to be very word-heavy and often lots of stanzas. 
and uh, they're great chorales. They're, uh, they are formidably well-written musically, and they also often have very sturdy theological texts. But they're sort of geared for the head, for your head. And gospel music is geared for, for your body. Yeah. It's, it's for the heart. It's heart music. They often will have very simple little refrains. It's music that arose from people who were kept illiterate, so it's it's more of that oral tradition. So why why on earth would you get in, trapped into an argument over which is better? That's the stupidest argument ever. Um, find the best of both and yeah, bring it, them both in. You know, no, and that, and well said. I think sometimes we get into this, as soon as we talk about new, we impose a false dichotomy where incorporation of the new mean it inherently means we think that we have to jettison something from before or there there is no we can have both and you know i there right. was there was a particular <laughs> um i won't i won't say who it was there was a particular professor from uh my uh from my seminary who after we had done um i had written a, an arrangement of a particular hymn a folk arrangement and i featured banjo in it and this professor came up to me and said, I liked your arrangement that you had there for that one hymn. And I said, thank you. And he said, uh, you know, I, I never really considered the banjo a liturgical instrument, but for that hymn, it worked out really well. And I said, well, is there a hymn that you don't think the banjo would work well on? And he said, well, probably not a mighty fortress. And I looked at him and I said, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. That's good. What I think you put your finger on it that anything new does not imply that you now have to say the old stuff sucks. That's not a given. Just they do different things and they, they, they feed your, your full body and soul. They, they feed all of it. So my eighth point is more is better. Um, less is more. No more is more. Uh, just add more stuff to the buffet. Now, there would and, be something to be said about the expression, less is more. I mean, I think if, like in the case of a congregation who maybe um, they're trying to do too many things, and maybe a lot of the things they're trying to do are um, they're stretching their resources or they it falls out of their immediate skill set. Kind of like what you were saying before, um, point number five, you said doing inventory of your congregational assets. Um, you might say, Hey, pastor, we've been doing this, 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 and this, and these things fall outside your congregation's property, your people, the the your community. Maybe like a you know, you're you're wanting to start a, a preschool, but your your core demographic or where you you're, you're kind of in a retirement community. Maybe mm-hmm. starting a preschool is not a good idea. So maybe um, mm-hmm. or your um, well anyway, I, I there is something to be said for less is more. But I think what you're saying is is more does not inherently mean you're going to be doing less now, or that you have what, to... It, more More does not mean that you're going to diminish your heritage, or right. you're going to be less, that you have to somehow shame your own heritage. No, you can... Uh, I, uh, I grew up being trained in the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, and uh, I, I have since learned how to play uh, spirituals, how to play blues, and I've learned how to play gospel music and uh, enjoy them very much but i can still love my bach and and still appreciate uh, its beauty and the power of that music so i don't have to you don't have to hate on the past in order to bring in new well, things in the can, culture and the culture them. of saint marcus very much reflects that where there is a very robust 
ethnomusicology, where you have your German chorales, you have gospel mm-hmm. music, you have modern Christian hymnody, and you have contemporary music. And I and it's done in such a way where it doesn't put they it doesn't pit these musical cultures against each other. It doesn't say, well, this is real. This is like the real stuff right here. Mm-hmm. They all have yeah. their time and their place, and they all have yeah. an opportunity to to take center stage. And the culture yeah. of St. Marcus is that of, or I would say maybe if you're in a diverse, um, so for example, where I'm at, I'm in a rather ethnically diverse area, and a growingly diverse area too, as more people um, wise up and leave Chicago <laughs> because, <laughs> or they cross over state lines because uh, it's a little bit more affordable over here, and we love Chicago, mm. but that se- that seems to be the, that seems to be the cultural undertone here, the the common thread that unites um, the diversity around here is a general. Um, a general grumbling about uh, how we're connected to Chicago, even though we live in Indiana, be it employment or family or friends or um, whatever it might be, a uh, business. Um, but uh, so we're Chicago overflow. So, <laughs> but um, that uh, there's something to be said about championing and encouraging a, a broad ethnomusicology at your, especially if you're in a multi-ethnic area. That that's a no-brainer. Um, mm-hmm. I um, I. I, I've shared this. I've shared this story with you. There was a there was a um, there was a picture on the wall of our church of a um, of a single a singular white girl praying all by herself. And I took it down. And one member came up to me and, they, and she asked, you know, why did you take that picture down? And uh, um, <clears throat> and I said, well, what color was the was was this girl? <laughs> and she said, well, she's she's white. And I said. Um, she's like, do you have something against white girls praying? And I said, no, I don't. Of course I don't. Uh, and I said, do you know what the, um, um, if you, you know, in our immediate mission field, the, if you did a, a demographic survey, do you know what percentage of our immediate mission field is black? She said, I have no idea. And I said, well, we're looking probably anywhere from 25 to 28%. One in four people. Um, imagine, imagine... Um, someone from 25% of our immediate mission field came to our church and looked at that picture. What would they very likely think when that is really the only human being that's that's framed and put on the wall? Well, they, they could think that I will never have, I will never be part of the ethnic makeup of this congregation. Mm-hmm. And that can happen if we're not mindful about the language we use, um, the artwork that we use, um, how we go about uh, engaging people, interacting with people, and the music as well. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. yeah. To, to your point, point number eight. You know, there. As soon as we start pitting styles against each other, uh, we got to get over that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still seeing. I'm still seeing people divided over, over that stuff where they, we kind of talk about. Um, we pit liturgical versus non-liturgical, and, mm-hmm. um, or we, we we like you like you said we we tend to. And I love and I and I and I love uh, classic Lutheran hymnody or or we'll just say confessional Christian hymnody. Um, and I and I like taking that stuff and presenting it in, with modern instrumentation. Um, mm-hmm. That word contemporary is fraught with unnecessary baggage. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, learning to appreciate um, different styles, I think, is uh, yeah. Yeah. it's a it's a flexibility that a church should have. Yeah, and it has to be modeled 
Uh, if, right. And if the people look at the pastor and he's enjoying it and singing along and say, wasn't that great? That sure was fun. But then also it shows that same energy and support behind their traditions. Then the people won't feel, if they feel like my my roots aren't being stolen from me, then I'll have more stamina and patience for let, get, taking a chance on something new. Right. All right. Number nine is something uh, white people need a lot of help with, and that's bringing uh, energy and emotion into your gatherings. Uh, in my training, uh, everything was pretty sober, and you sat really still. And when I was a child, my mother would pinch us if we moved or, or squirmed around too much in church, pinched us really hard. And we we learned to go into the freeze and to, to sit really still. And I don't remember my, fa- my pastor father smiling a lot and he was also very formal and called people by their titles and um i i have i think there is a great hunger for energy and emotion and uh, black folks have really taught white folks like me the legitimacy of uh, raising the the energy and emotion in gatherings and to actually feel something and 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 show show it it just makes it more real you, Intellect and analysis are great, but having some feelings is good too, and that right. that's a corollary to the more is better. Um, in, as far as music goes, having music that um, is more emotional or is very is energetic. And that that is, is something that um, that is something kind of like what you're saying before. Um, that is a lesson that you get in the seminary, but it's one of those things where you see it on paper. And then it's a matter of unfolding it or actualizing it in practice, where mm-hmm. and and not just in our homiletics, in our preaching, but then also mm-hmm. in our music. Um, I think um, there's something to be said about uh, changing up your liturgy and and maybe creating new liturgies or something where you maybe have um, maybe core components or stuff that you really like. You know, your confession, absolution, um, prayer, mm-hmm. um, your readings. Um, you know, the, the, the creeds, um, finding ways to creatively present these things. So you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're still offering that, which, um, you know, what, stuff that's good stuff that has merit and, and worth. And there's some, there's uh, pedagogy and, um, and instruction, but then finding ways to mm-hmm. present it in new creative ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, yep. you know, so, Yep. Well, my last, uh, we're here at the end. My tenth and final point is learn how to raise money and do a capital campaign. Uh, I I knew how to give a sermon on stewardship when I came out of the seminary, but I was absolutely clueless about how to raise money, how how to deal with foundations, how to ask for major gifts, how to, how to, um, put a campaign together for something big and how to work with consultants what's what are you looking for how do you do that i still remember the, the about 20 years ago i still remember the bewilderment and joy i felt when i interviewed my first candidate to be our campaign consultant for the first really big thing we ever wanted to do at my congregation and I realized I learned more 
in the one-hour interview I had with this guy than I had learned about fundraising in my whole life prior to that. <laughs> and, it, and I realized what a, a vacuum there was in my brain. I also am grateful to a significant number of individuals who were mentors to me in my young and formative years and helped me realize how little I knew about development and connecting uh, and finding ways to augment your offering plate gifts. And if you're ever going to um, jumpstart your ministries or you need to do something in a big kind of way, uh, you've you got to acquire that knowledge. Thankfully, it's all there to be acquired. The people who do it well will happily talk to you. And there are organizations such as ALDI, the Association of Lutheran Development Executives, and there, there are places where you can go to get this understanding, uh, to figure out how to do this. There are consultants you can hire who will teach you the game. And if you, ha as a staff person on, a, say, a larger organization, uh, there are schools you can go to, such as the Indiana School of Philanthropy, which is known all over the country for the excellence of training people in the skill and art of how you fundraise to go beyond just your annual fund or your, your operational giving. And I knew nothing about it coming out of the seminary and um, have learned quite a bit. And St. Marcus has raised quite a few millions of dollars, I think, thankfully, because of this mentoring that I received. I, I, I want to... Um chime in here because this is something that not every congregation um, is doing and some of that could be because there might be a misconception about um, running a capital campaign or doing some type of um, fundraiser for your church because um, they have been um, I'm trying to say this in a very delicate way they are they are of the opinion or if they have been taught that uh, run, doing a capital campaign or some type of um, maybe um, they might it might be labeled pejoratively as merchandising or um, ra raising money for your church. They would say mm -hmm. it runs contrary to yep. God's word, or it's I've heard yep. the expression it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, um, money changers in the temple, dump the tables over, uh, drive out the livestock. Yep, get all this money changing out of the temple. So what do you what do you say to people like that who who say you know, when it comes down to generating money for a church or something like this, you know, I've heard people say, we don't want to do a dance with the devil where we don't want to appeal or get a grant or some type of loan from outside of that. You know, I mean, obviously, you're going to have to get loans for if you're doing a big building campaign. But, um, you know, say you uh, like right now, for example, I, I'm, you know, you know, uh, with with what's going on with COVID nineteen, as far as, as some states anyway are offering some type of grant, not a loan, a grant for congregations who are uh, maybe they've taken a huge hit with their offerings, or um, they want to be able to pay their church employees without having to lay anybody off. And I know some congregations who have applied for those. Um, it's and and I know that some other congregations say we're not going to do. Or we're not going to do a dance with the devil or something like just some real pejorative statement like that. Yeah. Um, and they would yeah. likely probably say they would probably not be a fan of school choice either. <laughs> right. Because you're, um, you know, God forbid there's a mutual overlap between the interest of the church and the interest of the state. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I don't know. I don't see anything in Scripture that would say, you know, where there is mutual interest and overlap, where we're seeing the... Um, no, I don't see anywhere in the fine print with these grants where the church, where the state says, all right, here's the condition. We'll give you X amount of dollars in order to um, sustain your staff during this time. However, you need to jettison these doctrines. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that yep. anywhere. Um, yep. I'm not seeing that with school choice. I'm not seeing that with the... So anyway, I, what do you say to individuals, or how would you maybe um, biblically respond, or principally, uh, biblically, with uh, biblical principles, I should say, how would you respond to an individual who either has a, feels that this is, um, this is contradictory to Scripture, or they've um, been brought up with this idea that, um, yeah, robbing Peter to pay Paul, this is money changing in the temple? Well, for one, I think, I, I, what would I say? I would just say I disagree. <laughs> and I'd say take a look at the fact that in many ways ministries are, even if you don't want to get into the vouchers or whatever, or you don't want to apply to some kind of foundation or apply for one of these CARES Act loans, business loans, to sustain your payroll, look at all the different ways that ministries are receiving help from the government the way it is. Grade schools receive milk money, milk subsidy, um, especially in rural places, they use uh, school buses, transportation provided by the county, and there are plenty of church schools that use, that are willing to take that help. But what is that but a direct government subsidy to transfer of transportation? Or if take the um, ministry colleges and seminaries, the Pell grants and the right. government grants where people borrow money, those are government-subsidized college loans. Do you think that does not involve a so-called uh, mixing of church and state? The church-supported nursing homes get uh, in a huge amount of money, and you might be very happy to have one of your elderly loved ones living in a church-supported nursing home, but do you think that there are not government funds that are used in support of the seniors? So it's, it, I believe it's um, some hypocrisy, I'll say, I will, in a charitable way, I'll say, an unrealizing hypocrisy, unwitting hypocrisy. But it's hypocrisy, nonetheless, to say that we refuse to take any government funding. Right. Secondly, I think if you look at the example of Scripture, when the people of Israel um, were returning from captivity, the Persian kings gave decrees that all kinds of governmental subsidy was to be used to help them in their rebuilding of Jerusalem. And recall, it wasn't the Persians who destroyed Jerusalem, so it's not as though they're just getting their money back from the Babylonians. The Babylonians were gone. This was empire funds, empire resources being used to rebuild people's businesses, homes, and their religious life. And uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and and uh, Zerubbabel and all the other people who led the rebuilding of Jerusalem and Judea were willing uh, to accept that kind of subsidy. Are, are there risks? Certainly. And if any government subsidy of any kind would require you to contradict your gospel message in any way or would... In, in, help, for instance, given into your school, which would prohibit you from doing what you need to do for your child discipleship, then you are free to call an end to it. 
But actually, the people who've gone ahead and tried it have realized that the state's mandates have not hurt their ability to do their job the way they think they ought to. In fact, the mandates from the government of making you comply to their programs actually were good, such as the requirement that you must have a third-party audit of your books. That's good business. You should have been doing that anyway. Your members should know that your church's financial books have been audited, that there's no funny business going on, and that when they give a gift uh, to, uh, that they want to go into ministry, it's going to 100% of it is going right where they intended. Uh, so an audit is a way to show that your books are in order. Or another thing that the state mandated of our congregation with school choice money is that you must separate out the cost of running your school from the cost of running your church. That's good business. We right. really had no idea what it was costing us per student. So this is only helpful in that it helps you know what kind of tuition you should be charging, and it helps communicate with the people who are receiving your services if you can tell them the actual cost of educating a child. When it was a unified budget, you had no idea. You would just be guessing. Mm-hmm. But by separating out the costs of payroll, utilities, building maintenance, and all, all the rest of that stuff, so that was a mandate from the state, but it actually, I think, was was good. Well, there are my, my ten ideas, and I lay them out there for you to have fun with. No, Dad, that, that looks uh, that looks absolutely awesome. Those are some really great, uh, really really great pointers, great tips indeed. You got anything else you want to add? I mean, otherwise you've been you've been at it for a good <laughs> amount of time, and um, I'm looking at an hour thirteen here, and I I think that that's a that's a loads and loads of content great great fodder for good healthy christian discussion um mm-hmm. and loads of uh, awesome pointers for implementation you got anything else for uh, uh no that's enough that's <laughs> enough for now <laughs> all and right just uh, just uh, my i'll close with my uh mark's benediction uh, that i often say to people go crazy uh we're running out of time you know what I think that that's, Hold a, nothing back. that's a great note to end on. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed uh, these uh, these three episodes. Uh, I hope and pray that they've been edifying and uplifting and that you've take, got some great uh, takeaways for maybe your, ho- your own congregation, wherever you might be serving. Uh, God be with each and every one of you, and we'll see you again next week.